welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. We're here for another episode of Clean Tech Talk. Today, we're talking with Travis Allen, Vice President of Public Affairs and General Counsel at Flow, an EV charging leader in North America. Travis, welcome. You uh, you have extensive background in this field, but I will just let you introduce yourself a little bit first and tell us how you got into the electric vehicle market and what you've been doing in it. Sure. Well, thank you very much for having me. So I, I work at a company called Flow. Uh, we're one of the largest EV charging networks and uh, manufacturers of electric vehicle charging equipment in North America. Uh, our base is in Quebec, uh, Canada, but we have operations all across Canada and now increasingly in the United States in uh, places like California, New York City, and also in the Midwest. And I have been working on electrified transportation policy issues for, for quite a while. I used to run a climate change focused law firm for, for many years with uh, a couple other lawyers. And we worked on a whole bunch of different things related to climate change. And one of my big focus areas was on transportation and, and basically how we can decarbonize the entire transportation system of North America through good policy, good incentives and, and good programs. So that's really how I got into the field. And I was hired by Flow uh, three years ago. It's definitely an exciting time for I think your role in EV charging companies and leadership leadership positions now, because we do have Joe Biden's uh, plan of 500,000 EV charging stations by 2030 in the United States, which, you know, by some people's standards is very ambitious, aggressive, by other people's standards is, is just, uh, is, is, is not much. It's not, not what, what we need or what we'll get to if you believe in exponential growth and all that. But there, but there is a, a clear policy signal there, which is very important and helps a lot to, to generate EV charging growth and, and, and initiatives. Can you just, um, I guess to start off, can you just speak a little bit about that target and the, and the current legislative environment before we get into details? Sure. Yeah, so I, I really agree with what you said about this being an important policy signal. As, as you noted, there's still a lot of negotiations that are happening in, in Washington, D.C. about how the funding is going to flow to support this target. But what's really positive about it is that it does provide a clear signal that the U.S. federal government is serious about, you know, A, its climate commitments, and then B, the, the sort of changes and the investments in charging infrastructure that need to be made to support um, decarbonization of the American transportation system. And, you know, if you talk to prospective EV buyers, if you talk to automakers, they will tell you that one of the number one concerns always, in addition to sort of the range of vehicles and the availability of vehicles, is whether people are going to be able to charge them when they need to at home, at work, or on the go. Um, and so what's happening right now in, in Washington, D.C. is there are big discussions over how fast will this money flow, um, where will it, it go? So will it go via particular departments in the U.S. government? What will be the roles of states and other um, funding distribution agencies? Those are all live issues that are still being worked out. 
Um, but clearly the administration's direction is clear where they want to go, which is a, you know, the, frankly, the largest investment in EV charging infrastructure in the history of North America, um, and certainly one of the most significant investments in the entire world. And that's very encouraging, even if we're still working on the details. Yeah, I mean, I know our readers and listeners say they see the headline and they're like, great. And then they say, so what are the de- where are the details? What, <laughs> where is this going? How is it getting to you? What's it, what kind of charging stations are we building, et cetera, et cetera. But I can't imagine for your company, you must be really like, you know, a hundred times more. Where is this money going? How do we get, how do we help shape this? You know, and I'm sure a lot of people in your company look to you and they're like, hey, Travis, <laughs> tell us what's up, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, we've been through this before with um, the government of Canada, of course, which has been funding EV charging infrastructure federally for a number of years. Also at various states, there was also the VW settlement money a number of years ago. And the, the answer is always, unfortunately, quite complicated, because the right investments that make sense, for example, on the West Coast of the United States, are not necessarily going to be, you know, dollar for dollar, the right investments to be making in the Midwest. There's a lot of local decisions that need to be made uh, about what to prioritize and where the gaps are. And so this is going to be, frankly, multiple years of work to really figure this out if we're going to do it well, um, if it's going to be a successful rollout in the United States. But I mean, that's exactly what we're all here to do is, is help governments make good policy decisions and good investment decisions about how to get bang for their buck um, in these major investments. Yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't thought really much about that. The Volkswagen settlement money sort of opened some, I guess, initial pathways, sort of, you know, cut the bushes a little bit to, you know, show how things could flow. And we keep using flow, uninten- I think unintentionally, and no pun intended, but, but it's a good word for the topic. Uh, but um, yeah, I'm, al- I'm also, I'm on a work, uh, several working groups for this initiative, Drive Electric USA, which has got three years of funding from the Department of Energy. And it's sort of about stimulating EV uh plans, EV uh, organizations and growth in 14, you know, states that are not exactly, you know, more flyover states, that kind of thing. So it's, it's been very interesting having these discussions and seeing, you know, some things apply across geographies, some things are quite different. Um, As much as you can talk about it, where do these stations need to be? What do you think, you know, as an expert in this field with a team of experts behind you, where do we sort of need to really fill the gaps and look to funnel good funding for, for good EV charging. Right. And, you know, to be clear, I'd never call them flyover states. I'd call them fly to states. Uh, we, we really like, you know, the Midwest, yes. for example. Sorry. And, uh, <laughs> that's okay. I, I, to be honest, I was, uh, <laughs> I was using a term from one of the heads of one of the organizations from one of these states. Uh, but it's probably one of those situations where they can say it. I probably sh- should say something else. Right? That's yeah. probably right. That's probably right. Yeah. So I, I would say that there are a couple themes that we always look at when we're talking to a government that's getting ready to make the make the plunge, right? And, and they're starting to think about, okay, they have some climate um, goals that they're trying to meet. The transportation sector is this perennial challenge, right? It tends to be going up when we want everything to be going down. So where do you start? And obviously the first place you start is with a target. So this is where we're trying to go. This is the number of vehicles we want. This is, you know, ideally you start looking at what kind of station coverage goals you might have. 
And that's where you start getting into some very, very interesting conversations um, about how you want to, to sort of catalyze the, the transition to electrification um, from a values perspective and from like the objective achievement of your targets. How do you make that work? So some of the themes that we suggest you know, governments think of. Number one is equity. Um, equity has to be at the core. And that's going to mean different things depending on which state you're talking about. So for example, it might mean that you're paying close attention in your cities because your cities may have areas that have historically had under coverage of certain types of infrastructure and they may have under coverage of, of electric vehicle charging infrastructure. In those cases, especially if people are highly concentrated in apartments or condos, multi-unit dwellings, we tend to recommend programs that will help those buildings electrify or that will provide um, curbside EV charging. So that's charging that you can access if you happen to park on the street overnight or during the day. Um, often we'll see a combined approach where both of those are used because basically your, your biggest question is how do we make sure that a person who lives in a condo or an apartment can, can buy an EV and operate it almost as easily as someone who lives in a more affluent suburb where you know, they can just plug in and charge overnight um, in their garage. So that's, that's something that we think you know, every government needs to think of right away from the very beginning. In other places where you have um, maybe well-supplied urban charging, but you have a, a dearth of rural charging, you might be looking at urban versus rural issues. So um, we've seen a number of jurisdictions where the government or a utility has made a sort of determination that they are going to make sure that there's good charging coverage everywhere, including in more rural areas where they might not expect to get a lot of utilization early on, but they know it's important because they don't want to have a cities versus city dweller versus rural um, dweller challenge on their hands. So yeah, we, know, have, those are... we have enough cultural political <laughs> challenges right now, you know, we don't need to add to them. This is one of the interesting sectors or, or fields where you see cross, you see crossover, you see Everyone can get sort of behind cool electric vehicles, I think. But I'll let you keep going. I just, I think it's also important to realize that it's all connected, especially when it comes to transportation. So we look at, you know, cities versus, you know, countryside, rural versus urban. But if you, if you want to go from one place to another on a long trip, you need it everywhere. So I guess as you keep talking about it, I'm curious a little bit more what you, Think about that that issue of integration and you know um, connecting the rural and the urban in a kind of unifying way. Yeah, I, I like the way that you put that. Unifying is the should be the goal, right? So, I mean, we we've talked to different states and we've pointed out like, hey, you don't actually have um, good integration of charging stations to some of your most important tourist attractions. So that's like the bare minimum, right? Making sure your national parks, making sure your, your big tourist attractions that they are covered with, with charging infrastructure. That's super important. I would say that's almost table stakes now if you want to be supporting you know, interstate uh, tourism. You wanna make sure that your major highways or freeways are, are, are covered in a reasonable way because you wanna be able to support commerce obviously, but also tourist activity. And it really is, a network effect. So, you know, you can't just build one station out in the middle of nowhere and not have stations leading to it or from it 
in, in terms of your, your travel routes to your major nearby cities or your major sources of tourism. So, so those are all really important, taking kind of an integrated approach. Some, you know, jurisdictions have set sort of minimum targets with respect to distance. So they'll, they'll set either density targets or there's, they'll set linear targets, like one station every so-and-so hundred miles, um, and they'll ensure that those at a minimum are covered. Other jurisdictions have had, frankly, a lot of luck just by opening the programs and then running different programs in different regions of the state or province uh, so that they try to get a good balance of coverage with willing site hosts. Um, those are all, I think, very important decisions to make uh, to, to make sure that the money is going places where it'll be useful. And then I think the other thing is making sure, you know, it's not just about getting dots on the map, but you have to also make sure that you're getting good results from those charging stations. So there's been some jurisdictions that have had trouble. They've, they've deployed a bunch of stations and then they don't work the way they're supposed to, or they're not properly maintained. That's something else that a lot of these decision makers are going to need to be thinking through, just like they would with any government procurement or private public partnership. What do you think policymakers need to do to sort of address that issue to make sure reliability is good, uptime is good, accessibility is good? What kind of provisions or uh, policies need to be in place for that, do you think? Well, the first thing is they need to make sure that they are collecting the data. So any network charging station is capable of providing status information, or it should be. And so when you have governments that are dispensing large amounts of money to fund the charging infrastructure, they should be uh, making sure that they're able to collect data on utilization. So how much is that station getting used? And also uptime, how, how, how much is it available for use or in use over a given like 12 month period? So data collection is really key. And then we, we think uh, at Flow that, you know, governments should also be setting minimum uptime uh, criteria for large distributions of funds like this. And the reason for that is because if you don't, and if you go strictly based on price, you could get a lot of charging stations put on the map that actually don't work and there's no proper incentive to keep those maintained. That first of all, throws off the whole market. And second of all, it can lead to very negative experiences by users if they show up at a charging station expecting it to work and it doesn't. And that's actually working counter purposes the goal of getting more people in electric vehicles. So we think that's a sort of very important component of any kind of uh, funding program. And are there any policies that sort of require kind of a certain maintenance plan or kind of maintenance organization or, or you know, any, anything require any anything on that topic to kind of, because I've, I've even experienced many stations from high quality, very popular mass market ne networked EV charging companies that broke way too quickly and took too long to get fixed. I don't know how you would really look to solve that as a policymaker without getting too big brother or something, but it's, it's, a, it's something, I don't, I don't know, that you perhaps have seen some kind of solutions for, I'm not sure. Yeah, we've seen that dealt with a couple different ways. So some provinces and states, when they've developed their funding programs, one of the conditions that you have to meet in order to be eligible for the funding program is you have to buy an, uh, an O&M plan, which is like a maintenance plan for a period of time, let's say five years. And that is 
I would say one way of addressing the issue. The challenge with that is you don't actually necessarily get super into the details of what is covered by the O&M plan. And there could still be situations where the, the plan isn't comprehensive enough. And so our recommendation to actually deal with the problem from the user's perspective, i.e. the, the EV, EV driver, is that you would come up with a clear standard for what we call uptime, which is basically station availability, and you would require everyone to report in and to meet that target either on a per station basis or, or averaged over a certain number of stations. And then frankly, how the companies meet that target is, is up to them, but presumably most of them would implement an O&M plan in order to, to guarantee that level of, of performance. And then those, those same governments or policymakers could be uh, you know, monitoring that. And then when there's another round of funding or, you know, more, more projects to go out, they can look, well, this company has very good uptime. This, yeah. They probably deserve to win more. I don't know how, you know, I'm not, not in that field, but, you know, some kind of analysis to say this, they have a good track record. Yeah, it could be used certainly as a basis for qualification for, for future uh, procurements. We've also seen you know, procurements where, or, or funding programs where if you didn't need it, you had a financial penalty to pay on the existing stations. Because ultimately, you know, we think about this as being an entirely new area. We're funding this new type of charging infrastructure. But at the end of the day, anytime governments are funding something, they, they tend to want to have performance criteria to make sure they're getting value for money. And I, I don't really think EV charging is any different. This is about making sure that if American taxpayers are investing, you know, $15 billion, that we're getting really good outcomes for those investments. And 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 for, for us, like uptime is a critical way of, of assessing whether there's value for money. So going back to a topic you touched on a bit earlier, I, I lived uh, in apartments with no home charging for almost three years with EVs. First a BMW i3 Rex with 70 miles EV range and electric range and then a gas backup. Almost didn't touch the gas backup, just charged at shops and that kind of thing, parks. And then with a Model 3 uh, for past couple of years before moving to a townhouse with, with home charging. It's a totally different lifestyle. If if you can make it work with public charging or workplace charging, it's still extremely easy. It's still more convenient than gassing up a car. But there's a there's obviously a dramatic difference between having home charging and not. And one of the challenges with apartment managers, there's different layers of ownership and different levels of managers. And you know, you have to convince <laughs> the right people at the right level to get anything done. And, you know, it takes a long time for communication to go up and down different chains and, and to sort of raise awareness, even when a, when a market is pretty hot for EVs, and then to get things in the ground. What kind of policies do you think would be effective, you know, I assume beyond tax credits and beyond, you know, or, or maybe that is a great policy for these kind of um, companies, but what, what kind of policies do you think are key to getting more EV charging in apartments and apartment complexes or multifamily unit uh, dwellings, that kind of thing? That is the, you know, you've, you've really hit, hit on probably the most complex challenge of the entire electrified transportation industry, at least in the context of light duty vehicles. So um, there's no one policy that has been proven to solve that issue. What we tend to see in jurisdictions that have been working on this for a number of years, they're mostly on the West Coast, um, is a comprehensive suite of policies 
focusing on different parts of the problem. So the number one thing that you as any state level government can do is to fix the new buildings that are being built. Um, and that can either be done through a building code amendment or it can be done through some sort of zoning amendment. It really depends on the state. But the number one thing is like stop building buildings that are not designed for EV charging because that doesn't make sense and you're just making the problem worse. It's so much easier and less expensive to address charging issues at the point where you are designing the electrical system for a multi-unit dwelling. So you know, that's number one for, for new builds. And we've got really great examples in California and in a place in British Columbia on the west coast of Canada called um, Richmond, where they've looked at really interesting performance-based uh, building codes that, that make it way, way easier for building managers to, to design ones that will work with EV charging. It becomes obviously more challenging for, for buildings that are already built. And the reason for that is because they may have limited electrical capacity on their existing panels. They may have even had one or two people who've installed charging stations and used up the available capacity. And now they have to you know, deal with, with, with other folks down the line. So um, there's a couple measures that, that different governments have worked out. One of them is the development of what's called right to charge legisl legislation, which basically says, you know, if you live in a condo or an apartment building, you have the right to install charging if you meet X, Y, or Z criteria. Here's a process that you can follow. To be honest, that's not going to solve everything because it's still a question of money and cost, but at least it uh, ensures that um, building owners and managers are going to pay attention to their, uh, you know, the owners of condos or apartments. So that's one thing. The other thing that uh, can be really helpful is providing an incentive financially, either for individual owners of units who are going to be installing or to the actual building itself. So for example, if they're doing a major parking lot retrofit anyway, um, providing a retrofit that will uh, incentive that will allow them to set up charging in each space. Um, so there's been a bunch of different experiments by utilities, by state level or municipal governments that are providing different funding streams. Those are all really useful. Um, those can help a lot. And then as I, as I noted before, because it's still going to take us a really long time to get there, providing adequate fast charging, public fast charging, and public curbside charging as kind of a fail-safe or an interim measure, that's really helpful practically. And we've seen in places like Montreal, where we have many, many, many uh, curbside charging stations deployed, a lot of the folks that live in buildings that are not super suited to EV charging, they will tend to use those stations overnight. They're relatively cheap and uh, they're good to go in the morning. Yeah, having lived that lifestyle, you know, like, as I said, we did a lot of charging just on six kilowatt chargers, but when you had that period, that time when you needed something quick or you hadn't been able to get somewhere for a while, we were luckily able to use Tesla supercharging behind a Whole Foods where we shop. So that was that's I, I, that is a critical element. While you might talk about getting it at at these places where people live and shop, you really sort of have to have that, like you said, that that fail safe. Well, one other thing. So, you know, I'm curious, just you know, not being a, a lawyer and not being in this that that part of the field, does it make it if you have a you know general tax credit for EV charging stations? 
is that the same or, or, or is it better if you have also, if you have a specific EV tax credit, for example, for community, you know, managers, that kind of thing, for, for multi-unit dwelling, if you have it sort of specifically for them, is it more likely that they're, that they're, they're, they're accounting people or, or lawyers are going to find it and say, Hey, there's this available. We should use it. Is there any benefit to just, just on the sort of communication side or legal communication side to having something that's specific to that that sector of the market i think there there is uh, definitely a comms benefit but the, the reality is it's also just a very different set of barriers between installing ev charging in your detached house garage versus um, in a multi-unit context and so there are specific challenges there are many additional costs that you typically need to go to in order to to make that work including sometimes legal changes that need to be made um you know electricity audits that need to be sort of shared amongst uh amongst the group in terms of costs and then obviously you have to deal with the the attribution of charging costs in a way that is fair uh, between users, and so I, I do think that that's a program that deserves its own special its own special set of incentives. And and frankly, if we're going to make progress, and if we're going to ensure that you know people that live in multi unit buildings have access to EV charging, it, it's an area we're going to have to spend some time on for yeah. sure. Yeah. So similar, I guess similar to what you were just saying, um, or related to it. You know, we we get offered to review EV charging stations. Um, so I I received one. I, you know, I talked to the community manager of this community I was living in. They were eager to put it in to attract uh, residents, of course. The community manager sort of thought, oh, let's put it right here in the front in this area without really recognizing, well, you got cords, you have to plug into a certain kind of outlet somewhere and it would it's not really practical there. But then the, you know, the, the people, the technicians identified, oh, if you put it right next to the car wash on this pole, it's not, there's no tripping hazard. There's no one walking through here. It's a perfect, there's a plug right there. It's very simple, but it took a surprisingly long time to get to that solution, even though it's a perfect solution for it. I'm wondering, are there policies that say, hey, here's money just to explore the idea? Is it some, because I mean, I think that sort of just, you just have to help someone get their foot in and look at the options. And that's sort of maybe the biggest barrier is just to open eyes and open doors. Are there policies that say, here's, we'll give you money to sort of come up with an EV charging plan or to explore EV, EV charging infrastructure, you know, not just for the hardware and the installation and all that, but to actually just think about it, basically? Yeah, there, there have been funding um, programs that I'm aware of that basically funded exactly what you're saying, which is the preliminary electrical and scoping work that needs to be done and you know, in, in many cases, what, what needs to happen is the, the condo or the apartment needs to develop some sort of um, charging policy and say, this, this is how we deal with this in this building. Because, for example, one of the best ways to save money, you know, if you're looking at the overall cost of deploying charging stations in a, in a larger condo building or apartment, you're going to want, likely the, the building owner or manager is going to want to use something called power sharing, which is like a form of energy management because, you know, typically someone's plugged in from when they get home from work until when they're leaving in the morning, they don't need a full blast charge for the entire period that they're plugged in at night. Like that would be way, way overkill for most Americans driving patterns. And so what 
you'll end up seeing in some of the, the best um, performance standards for, for new buildings is, is rather than saying, you know, every station needs to have a level two charging station, they will say that every station, every, every parking space needs to be capable of providing a certain amount of energy. And that's based on calculations for how much a, a typical person is going to need for their normal overnight charge. And then, um, you know, the charging station providers and, and the electrical engineers will figure out how you can deploy stations using some sort of energy management technology so that everybody's getting the amount of energy that they need, um, but not necessarily all at once. Um, and that lets you basically reduce the impact on the building's electrical costs. So, you know, those factors need to be um, considered. And the reason that's so important is because if you are a condo manager and you are dealing with a new condo owner, you need to be able to say like, here's how we do this. And you need to participate in the system because otherwise it's going to end up screwing up your energy management system, and then you're going to have to pay lots more money, which doesn't work. So all of those things need to be factored in, and, and it, it, it has been funded in, in some jurisdictions, and I, I think it's a totally reasonable thing to fund as a first step. Has that mostly been in places like California or Vancouver area? Is that sort yeah. of places, markets where it's already maturing and they realize they have to do this? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll just take a brief uh, pause to say thank you so much for spending the time on this. I sometimes feel like a broken record bringing these issues up because they, I do see them as some of the most complex and important issues and asking these questions. And I've never, you know, I've talked to a lot of experts, which has been interesting, but I've never gotten such a detailed uh, responses with so much policy knowledge and, you know, different case study knowledge as I'm getting from you. So I really appreciate this conversation. I'm going to have to go through it myself a, a few times, but it's really, really good. And Thank you for for what you've been doing on that. Jumping to another sector of this of this topic, there's utilities, of course. Utilities, you know, I think for for some years it was sort of bewildering to many of us why utilities weren't being a little quicker to say, "Hey, yeah, let's get everyone in EVs, so we we make more money if you charge EVs than if you gas up." Um, but they have you know different roles they play, and and they're they're definitely been heavily involved for some years. Can you speak a little bit about the utility role and the utility regulator role and the role of policymakers, you know, above that sort of in regards to utilities? So just basically, you know, what do you see as needed in that sector right now and what's going well? Sure. So utilities, no matter what your views are, utilities have a very important role to play in achieving electrification of transportation in the United States, because even if they are not involved in funding charging stations, and we'll talk about that in a second, they are always going to be the ones who are dealing with connection requests, who are helping deal with capacity issues. Um, if you're trying to do fast charging or super fast charging, you know, you are going to have to be in very close contact with, with utilities, um, because there's just no other way to do it. Likewise, their rate structures, which are of course approved by their regulators, are, are the probably single most important factor for most of the United States in, in terms of whether it's possible to profitably deploy fast charging infrastructure. So if you have what are called demand charges, which is sort of a, 
a, a capacity-based charge at a certain point, often, you know, at 50 kilowatts, like if you have those, it's going to influence the entire calculation of whether a fast charging station makes sense or not. So, so those are really important. And I think that many utilities are currently looking at how they can make charging um, deployment more efficient, faster, how they can give the information that the charging networks need to support their deployment. And then many of them are also in discussions or are getting ready to look at their rate structure to see if their current structure makes sense or if it needs to be modified. Those are very, very sort of utility specific conversations and it's hard to make a broad statement about what utilities need to do because it, it's based heavily on their relationship with their regulator. But um, those are important. Your question though goes also to what I would call like the utility role in actually expanding investments in charging infrastructure. And we've seen vastly different things depending on the, the state or, or province in, in question. So um, in most Canadian large, provinces in Canada that have done well on EV charging stations, there's tended to be a fairly strong utility role, at least in getting that base level infrastructure out um, so that people feel comfortable adopting electric vehicles. Some of the best examples are Hydro-Quebec, BC Hydro, Fortis BC, and NB Power. So those are, those are examples where utilities have actually been told to take a more aggressive role in funding infrastructure. We've also seen some programs in California uh, places like New York, um, where utilities are working with regulators and, and have actually been directed to provide funding for certain types of, of charging deployment. And I think that makes sense because utilities tend to know where the opportunities are on their grid. Um, they have an interest in selling more electricity. And, and then the really interesting policy question is, how does that work? Is it what's called a make-ready investment, where the utility just kind of pays for site preparation up to the point where the station is connected or do they take a more direct role in actually owning and providing uh, charging station services um, and that again is, is something that is hyper regional lots of very different views on on the appropriate role but but again it, it just seems that over and over we're coming back to the conclusion and, and regulators are coming back to the conclusion that utilities do have a big role to play in this area very good stuff again. I really appreciate your insights. Um, so, you know, obviously home charging is where a lot of charging happens. Workplace charging is great, but an another core sort of charging area is where cars are during the day when they're not at home at work. Um, in Florida, you know, we have a lot of shopping centers and they're putting in charging stations to attract clients and that's working really well where I am. Uh, in a place like Amsterdam, that's not really the way it's uh, Amsterdam has, I think, I think it's a leading city in the world for EV charging um, in, in multiple ways, but you know, they basically said, let's get them on the street where people park uh, at all hours of the day. And they have great programs for on-street parking. What, what do you see the, what do you see the, the issue of curbside park curbside EV charging in North America? And, you know, specifically going back to that, sort of Biden initiative. Um, how do you see it tying into that? What do you th think is, uh, what do you think needs to happen there? Well, so you, you've talked about a couple different 
use cases of, of, of how we can actually get charging available for people. And I, I think I, I like the way that you highlighted, you know, there's sort of the commercial um, EV charging that you get because you're a customer. And that is very, very useful. I think that that's always going to be a key role. It's an amenity that you can offer to your shoppers or, you know, to your tenants if you if you run a commercial building or workplace. And then there's always likely to be a role for fast charging um, because if you're on a long trip, you want the convenience of getting a quick charge. Uh, if you are a taxi driver, an electric taxi driver, and you're in the middle of your shift and you're not ready to take a break and have lunch, you may also want to have a fast charge so you can get back out on the road right away. But many, many people are going to prefer level two charging for the simple reason that they it's cheaper and they may not be cost constrained while they're using it. And, and so that is, you know, uh, a, ma a major use case for, for EV users. And we tend to see those types of charging stations level two being really popular where people are parking for dwell times of, you know, over an hour up to like four hours or even overnight. Um, yeah, and I don't, and I don't think I set you, set you up as well as I was hoping to. Uh, you know, I was just thinking, you know, in Florida, you know, our lives are so car centric that you go from parking lot to parking lot. In a in cities like Amsterdam or New York or Vancouver, there's so much parking during the day that happens for for long hours next next to a curb, you know, on a street, um, yeah. and there's not that easy. You know, I I'm not that concern i think sh like is it shops uh restaurants these places i think they will increasingly see oh this is how you get customers we put in some, a, a couple of stages i think that's going to be easier but you know the sort of the city situation the urban situations of all these people charging on this or parking on the street through much of the day i don't really know what the best um what the best cases have been so far best practices for sort of I know Amsterdam, but I mean, in North America, um, for sort of encouraging that and, and enabling that more. Right. Yeah. So Montreal is, is probably one of the best examples. It's characterized by a similar sort of medium density urban structure like Amsterdam. Lots of people park on the street. And the only way to let them charge is to build the infrastructure where they park. So um, we have a lot of stations deployed there. And some of the things you have to keep in mind is that you're, it's not like a parking lot, you're competing for very valuable sidewalk space. And you need to make sure that the station fits with the sort of urban design of the city around you. So, you know, we have um, like designed stations so that they actually hold the cords off the ground, which allows for street cleaning and snow removal in the case of Montreal. Um, Los Angeles, we worked with the Bureau of Street Lighting there, and they had some extra um, electrical capacity on their street lamps because they'd invested in LED bulbs. And so we were able to sort of modify our charging stations to be mounted on existing street lamp poles because they didn't want to add any new infrastructure. And that, again, provides uh, people with an opportunity to, to charge when they're parked uh, on, on the curbside. So it, it's about making it convenient. It's about designing for the specific context of, of a curbside deployment, which involves a lot of safety considerations. And then the other thing is you need to make sure that when you're citing those, 
you cite them in a way that is not going to interfere with other types of transportation, specifically like active transportation, such as biking. So it needs to be done in a way that doesn't interfere with bike lanes, which are a new uh, also trend in, in many cities in North America. And so much of that comes down to city municipal um, policies and, and you know, policymakers. But do, do you see a, an important role on the federal or, or, or even state level for this topic? Do you think they need to come in, out with some guidelines or do you think it's, it really is something that should be dealt with on a local level? I, I don't have an, I don't know what, a, what I would answer to that question. So I'm not hard, sorry to give you a hard question, but I mean, I guess some general guidelines would always be useful, but it's such a specific case specific matter and, and location specific matter, right? Yeah, I think the federal role is to make sure that they're, they are open to funding a wide range of charging stations. So not just focus on super fast charging, it has an important role, but so does level two. Make sure that as the, the funding from, from the US administration is coming out, that it, it also recognizes how important level two charging is for a lot of people. Um, I think that you, you will find that many of the issues dealt specifically with uh, when you're doing curbside do tend to be at the state or municipal level. It's a lot about urban design. It's about consistency with safety standards um, and, and really making sure that it works for the specific city uh, itself. You can't get away from working closely with the city on those types of deployments. Thank you. And I think one last topic, um, fleets. So, you know, most of us who don't manage fleets or, or drive in fleets don't really think about fleet vehicles that much, but uh, much of the transportation, much of the driving that goes on is, is from different types of, of fleet vehicles. What's the, role, uh, what's the role of policies in, you know, supporting fleets going electric, which could be one of the easiest to go electric since, you know, they look at total cost of ownership and that's something that really benefits EVs and consumers don't necessarily look at that as much. That's, that's right. Once fleet managers are aware of the potential for total cost of ownership savings, it can often become a, 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 a much easier conversation, but there is a whole lot of education work that needs to happen for, for that to become a reality. I was just chatting with a, an expert on fleet EV charging the other day, and she said, you know, we, we do so much work on the policy and we forget to celebrate the wins. And for this to really work and for us to get widespread change, we need to make sure that fleet managers who don't necessarily read Clean Technica every day are aware of how much they can save. Um, and we need to also make sure that they know how to deal with the energy cost issue because a lot of them, frankly, don't really think about energy in the context of electricity. They think about it really from the perspective of fuel. So we need to share more of those stories, um, share the actual pricing changes that that uh, companies experience, and then you know it's it's cool to make sure they understand opportunities around power management, energy management, because that is going to make or break uh, those types of of deployments at at scale. I really like that message in general, celebrate the wins. Sometimes we get too focused on what are the problems, where are the issues? And I think that's a major issue in, in communication around this topic too, for years. I've been fighting it for, for a decade, you know, it's kind of too much focus on the down, the, the challenges and not enough on the conveniences, the benefits, but um, that's really interesting. Well, just, I guess the last thing then is, is um, I mean, I'm sure the fleet 
you know, incentivizing fleet EV adoption, EV charging is a whole nother ballgame. Again, it needs its specific, its own specific kind of legislation and, and de- detailed, you know, um, policies, right? Yeah, I, I think that there are specific barriers that fleets face. And so finding ways to help fleet managers figure out route optimization, understand which vehicles are appropriate for conversion to electricity, planning out their charging, um, just like with MUDs, that is a special set of issues, but they're absolutely solvable, particularly as we get more makes and models from the major automakers. It's becoming a lot more likely now that we have SUVs and we have uh, light duty pickup trucks coming. And so it's a perfect time to be looking at that and figuring out what the specific mix of incentives, tax credits, and education is that can, can really help catalyze that sector. Yeah, and speaking of messaging, I mean, I can't imagine how much it's helped for Ford to electrify the F-150 and come out with a big announcement with it, big push. It's a tremendous uh, competitive offering that must just open up the eyes and ears of so many fleet managers so much more than, than they were before. Thank you for all of this. Uh, I guess just to, to, to wrap up, as you know sort of celebrating the wins do you feel this year and going you know just increasingly that the market is maturing a lot and the policy policy world is improving a lot in how it looks at electric vehicles and ev charging do you feel like you've seen a lot of progress in the past few years yeah i'm i'm really encouraged i mean the the g7 leaders uh were meeting over the weekend and they they put out a statement talking about sort of the the importance of speeding up electrification of the transportation sector. I think that kind of high level um, guidance from sort of world leaders and and from the Biden administration in terms of charging station deployment, that matters a lot. I think having new vehicles like the Ford F-150, I mean, that's an iconic car for North Americans and it makes people realize we can actually do this. And I'm encouraged because we're starting to see different states and municipalities who are just new to this, reaching out to resource groups, reaching out to their their counterparts at states that have been doing more work on this uh, through associations of governors or through through other regional networks and actually trying to develop policies that will work in their local context. And I think that's going to happen more and more uh, if the administration is successful in getting the American Jobs Plan funding for stations through that's all very positive and will lead to some really great policy innovation. Thank you. One final time. Thank you for all of this information and for everything that you and the whole, whole company flow team uh, are doing. Really appreciate it. Have a good weekend and hopefully we'll have a lot of positive things to talk about next time we meet up. Great. Thanks a lot for having me. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to clean tech talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Walk, 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 walk,